Shall we pray? And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, yet again and once again, we thank you for qualifying us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you that 2022 is still a good year. We thank you that you look at us through eyes of love. We thank you that we can call you our Father. But most importantly, we thank you that you call us your children. We thank you for living the 99 and coming after the one. We thank you that you do not give up on us. And we pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion tonight. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we thank God for this opportunity and we do not take it for granted. And we are continuing our series that we started last week um, that we titled Fight, Run, and Keep. And as I said um, last week, this was quite inspired from um, a service I had at church where the minister for the day led us to pray for grace to continue the Christian work. And as I said in last week, as it was just ministering, I just felt refreshed because many times, and me in particular, I get, I get so tired because we are doing quite a lot of things and at a point you are just tired and as the man of God led us to pray that God should refresh us not necessarily because we are feeling weak but sometimes maybe we are not motivated enough sometimes we just feel like oh what is all this about let me just take a break let me be like King David when other kings are going for war let me just chillax I have fought enough but then God is reminding us through this episode that as long as we are present in this world it's a continuous call upon us to keep on fighting, to keep on running, and to keep on keeping on. So our scripture that we got our, or that we are, that we focused on, was in Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven. And I'm believing that by now we have memorized it. Second Timothy four, verse seven. It says, "I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I've kept the faith." I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. And as we looked at last week, this was when Paul himself had realized that his time was about to end. And he was just giving his final words to a young pastor named Brother Timothy. And last week, we looked at the fact that life is a fight. We started by saying that there are many metaphors that help us to better appreciate the context of life. What at all are we called here to do? And what at all are the demands of life? And we realized that life is a fight. Life is going to give you bruises. Life is going to give you cuts. I don't think no matter how um, good a boxer you are, if you go into a boxing match, at least I'm sure you will see one punch. <laughs> Well, unless you are going to box with a toddler, by now in one knock, you can give a knockout. But in the battle of life, life is going to bruise us. Life is going to give us some serious scratches. But no matter the punches we may receive, the victory is assured if we keep fighting. Because someone has already won the victory for us. And it's very important that we continue to fight against lust. That we continue to fight to remain humble. That we continue to fight to keep Jesus at the center of our lives. We continue to fight the good fight. We don't fight the foolish fight. Or we don't fight 
a fight of vain glory or a temporal fight, but it's a good fight that we have been called. Sometimes I look at the way people fight for political parties. It's a thing. And sometimes I wonder, are you saying that your political party is never wrong? Like, since your political party were voted into government, every decision they are taking is always right. Of course, that cannot be the case. But then you should see their communication members and their foot soldiers. The way they speak is as though... Let me just say. <laughs> but you see, people are able to fight for their political parties, and you'll be amazed at things people will do for their political parties. And mostly these people that fight, they are the ones that benefit the least from even their political parties. People are willing to fight for their own schools. The way some people, you see the way some people are proud of their alma maters. The way they are always proud to go for meetings, to put stickers on their cars, on their laptops. They are proud to let everybody know. If you meet them for the first five minutes you talk with them, you will know the school the person attended. People are proud of the football clubs or the sporting clubs they support. People are proud of their family. You will not meet this person and the person will not tell you that my father is this or my mother is this. People are proud of their professions. If you are in Africa and get a title, oh, forget it. You dare not call them without adding their title to it. So everybody is fighting. Whether we realize it or not, we are all fighting. Some of us are fighting to break poverty in the family. People are fighting various fights. Um, social media influencers, they are fighting for followers. You see the way they stress themselves just to get content. They stress themselves just to get followers. I think I was talking to my cousin one day. He was like a friend of his. Literally went to, um, I think, one of the university campuses. Then if you meet any random person, I have a YouTube channel. And please subscribe. The person who oh, I'll subscribe said, nah, 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 do it in front of me. So the guy was literally going, anybody he met, you would insist that the person should subscribe to his YouTube channel there then. So everybody's fighting. But Paul is begging on us to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. We know that we are weary. Fight for that dream. Fight for the vision that God has given to us. And the next thing, or the next metaphor, to help us better appreciate life, is that life is a race. So in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm sure we're very familiar with this scripture, but let's just read it again. And we read several other scriptures. It says that, Wherefore, seeing also that we are surpassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There is a race that is set before you and that is set before me that we must run. There is a race set before you. And it says that looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of the throne of God. We will get back to the scripture again and peruse it at the latter part of our discussion tonight. But let's appreciate that life is a race. Let's look at another scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. We looked at this last week. But it says this, Know ye not that which run in the race, or know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Run that ye may obtain. So for those of us who like posting on social media, I've given you two things you can post. <laughs> the race that is set before me. And the second thing you can post is that run that you might obtain. 
So we are not just running. It's like what Paul is like the fight. We are not just fighting left, right, center. We are not just fighting any fight, but there's a good fight. And yet again, Paul said that we are not just participating in the tournament, but we are running to obtain the prize. So purposeful running. Let's look again in Philippians chapter 2, the verse number 16. Paul again teaching to us about running. He says that holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Jesus, that I have not run in vain, neither have I labored in vain. So Paul was talking to the people in the Philippine church and was telling that hold on to this word of life that I've committed unto you, so that on that day, the day of Christ, there's a day called the day of Christ. When I stand to present my works, I will know that this race I have run to get you matured in Christ was not a vain race. So Paul yet again lets us know that life is a race. Let's look at, I think, two more scriptures and we go further into our discussion. Galatians 2 verse 2. In Galatians 5 verse 7. So let's read the Galatians 5 verse 7 first. It says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And here he was letting them know that they started in the spirit, but now they are ending or they want to complement the works of the spirit with the works of the flesh. And he said that you are running the Christian race very well. Who is hindering you from obeying the truth? So obeying the truth is running the Christian race. Galatians 2 verse 2, Paul again speaking and he says, And I went up by revelation. And communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, least by any means I should run or have run in vain. So we need to appreciate the fact that life is a race. There is a race that has been set before you and I. And there is a race that has been set not for us to just participate in, but for us to obtain to win a prize. And the unfortunate thing, if I should say, <laughs> is that this race is not a 100-meter dash, neither is it a 200-meter dash, but it's a marathon. And that's what makes this race a very tiring and exhausting race. Sometimes you may think you have gotten to that destination. Many times you have said, if only I could have learned that job, that would pay me this amount, I would be okay in life. Or I would have been able to. Many times we tell ourselves that if only I could get to this mark, I would be okay in life. But we get to the mark and we realize that this is not the destination that God has for us. In fact, this is just a, a, a temporary resting place. But there's a race that God is expecting of us. We achieve certain things for God and God keeps on beckoning on us that no, you have not ended it up yet. And this one way you can know that your dream is a dream from God. The destination is not immediate. It's a long race. So the dream of God is not for you to start a ministry or for you to start something, or for you to do something. It's a long race. And if you remember when we were discussing what does God require from us, the race ends when we go and meet our Father, or He comes to meet us. So as long as we are in this life, we must continue running. And immediately we stop running, we begin to lose, we begin to miss the up, and we begin to go contrary to the demands of the cloud of witness and the demands of God concerning our lives. That is why God never gives us the journey. Because God knows that if He should show us the journey, nobody would partake in this race of life. So what God likes to do is that He likes to tease us with the end of the journey, but not with the journey itself. Because if we should know the journey, many of us will get weary before we even start the journey. And this one thing that God did even with the Israelites. He knew very well that if he was to tell them the full plan and the journey that they will go through, many of them will not have taken the journey because it's a long journey. Our work with God and our race in this life is a long race. 
It's a long race. If Joseph had known that this was the race that he had to run for the sun and the moon and the 11 stars to bow to him, Joseph would have got worried at the beginning and said, no, God, I'm not interested in this any longer. I just want to be the, the, the darling boy of my father. If David had known the extent of what God was going to do with him, I'm sure David may not have signed up to be the king because God knows that if you should look at the journey, how long the race is, you would grow weary. But this life and this race that we have been called into is a long race. And even in life and even in business, every successful business know or business owner knows that there is nothing like a destination for them. They would keep exploring opportunities, keep investing and keep looking for more room to expand because the day they stop expanding is the day they die. That is why no matter how popular Coca-Cola is, they keep investing millions of dollars every year into doing adverts, into opening branches, into opening wholesale um, and retail shops. Everybody knows Coca-Cola in this world. Everybody knows Coca-Cola. <laughs> and I don't mean every single person, but generally speaking, Coca-Cola is one of the most established brands in this world. But yet still, they spend millions of dollars in doing adverts, in opening more branches, because they know that the day they think that they are arrived is the day they began to die. That is why Paul himself said that, looking not at what we have already achieved, I forget about the past. Forget about the past. But if you think where you are is your destination, that is why for many young people, we think the goal is to get married. That is not the goal. The goal is not just to get married, but the goal is to stay married and the goal is to enjoy marriage till death do you pass. And if you should see how long the journey is, how you are going to wake up to the same things for the next 50 years of your life, 60 years of your life, you may grow well. You may just get tired and say, ah, this thing there, let me relax more. That is why most men ask, it is, it is said to me that most men don't like, I don't know, hurry to get married. They want to wait well in their 30s. They want to be good, explore, because they know that when they enter into this thing, it's a long journey. But that's what the demands of life is. So one day I went to a wedding, I think it was somewhere last year, a church member's wedding. So, you know, you marry in the ladies' church. So I think more was the guy, so we had to go to the ladies' church. And when we went, I saw something very unusual. At the altar or at the pulpit, there was a sign over there where it, um, the, the minister stands to minister. There was a sign at the pulpit, and the sign was no parking. And when I saw it initially, I ignored it, but I kept looking at the thing, no parking. I said, ah, is it that somebody was cleaning the pulpit and he was he was holding this symbol and he forgot himself and he left on the pulpit and now he can't find where he left it. But after the marriage ceremony ended, the, the minister drew our minds to the fact that the no parking over here is not a mistake. It is part of the altar. It's a design that they incorporated into the altar. And he gave a very short, but a sermon that had a lasting impact in my life. He said that the sign no parking that you are seeing here is not a mistake. But every time you see it, remember that life is a journey. And no point in life are you supposed to park. No point in life are you supposed to park because we are not residents on this world or in this world. We are on a journey and we are pilgrims in the journey of life. Life on earth is not our destination, but we are on a journey. So he said every day when he comes to church on Sundays, he always tells his member to remember. I think it's a closing, it's like a slogan in the church. Remember, no parking. 
And it's something that has always been occurring in my head, in my mind since I saw that no parking. And I'm thinking of, of stealing that idea <laughs> that no parking. Life on earth is not our destination. The destination is not to have those cars, have those houses. And you know, sometimes we like to massage our conscience. You know, everybody, if you should ask everybody, oh my, people don't really have a dream. Their dream is to be big. Oh, I want to be big. I want to be a big man. I want to be rich. That's a big and a, and, a, and a plain dream. And for some of us, we like to massage it and say, oh, I want to have a foundation for, for childhood poverty or for women or for men or for the blind or for something. It's, it's fantastic. But then what you should have in mind is not to be big, person, but it is to run the race that has been set before you. It's a race that is very tiring. It's a race that is very exhausting. It's a race that seems to have no end. But whatever the case be, having no parking, no stopping, there is no destination for you. Immediately you think you are getting to your destination. Remember that you are beginning to look backslide. So Paul again said, forgetting those things which are behind me, I'm pressing on towards the mark of the higher calling of Christ Jesus. That is what God has called us to do, is to keep pressing on, is to keep moving on, is to keep running, no parking. To keep running. So always remember companies like Coca-Cola. Whenever they, they have achieved billions of dollars in revenues, they go and establish more branches. They go into countries that they don't have a lot of branches. They open more branches. Look at all the successful company brands you can imagine. They are always looking for opportunities to expand. And Paul said, that run that ye may obtain. I know many of us, we are tired. The Christian race can really be exhausted. Every day, you are going for church. Every day, you are participating in activities. And sometimes, you just want to take a break. You just want to, in quotes, leave life a letter. But God is reminding you, I know you are tired. But the Bible says in Matthew 12, or Matthew 24, verse 12, that he that endures to the end shall be saved. It is not about starting the Christian journey. It's about making sure you end the journey. So in Hebrews chapter 12, now let's go and peruse that scripture. Paul gives us, or the writer of Hebrews rather, gives us the ingredients to have or the ingredients to factor in this race of life. So I'm reading again. It says, Wherefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the altar, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. The first thing in running this race of life that we should have engrafted in our hearts and in our minds is that we are encompassed by so great a cloud of witness. You need to know that there's expectation of heaven and of God concerning your life. There's an expectation of heaven concerning your life. You see, that is why you cannot be passive in life and you cannot take each day you meet for granted. You must always live with the consciousness that there is a cloud of witness. And if you are somebody who likes sports, you would appreciate this thing very much. Because for the time that they are playing football under lockdown, especially in England, we saw that many clubs, especially a club like, let's say, Liverpool, that they hardly ever lose in their home stadium. They began to lose so many matches, comparatively, at their home stadium. The grass was the same, the pitch was the same, the stadium was the same. But what made the difference was the fact that fans were not allowed 
to the stadium. And if you're not a sports person, you may not really appreciate this. But if you are a sports person, you know the importance of having your supporters or having your fans in your stadium. That is why, generally speaking, it is always easier to win a home game than an away game because of the presence of supporters. So Liverpool, when they have their supporters, they hardly ever lose in their home grounds. Hardly ever lose in their home grounds. And every good team, every team that's a very successful team, they hardly ever lose in their home ground. And what makes their home ground their home ground is the supporters, the cloud of witness. Because they have or the crowd places a certain expectation on you. I remember one time, I think in Ghana, um, um, a, a footballer, I think he was playing in our local league. And I think he had the opportunity to play for the national team. And the guy said that the first time he traveled and he entered the stadium and he heard the, uh, the crowd, the noise, he said he was shaking like a leaf. He could not even give a pass. The crowd was intimidated. Imagine having 60,000 people. If you are an away player, immediately you touch the ball, 60,000 voices are screaming at you. Uh, you would shake like a leaf. You can't even give a decent pass. But imagine the opposite, having 60,000 supporters all singing your name and immediately you give a pass, they are applauding you. And that's what is very important in the football match. So there are certain times, especially in the last minute of the game, you meet you as the player, you may be going weary and you start to give all 40 passes, but immediately the crowd begins to cheer you on. There's a certain rush of energy and we see that so many times. Sometimes even the manager has to rally the supporters around him because they know the influence of the cloud of witness on the players. And we must also know as Christians that there is a heavenly expectation for your life. So whenever you are feeling weary in the race of life, whenever you want to take a break in the race of life, remember that there is a cloud of witness that is cheering up your name, that is singing your praise and singing that we have fought this, we have run this race. Now is your time. Keep running, keep running and keep running. Keep running this race. I was talking to a friend and she was telling me how she has applied and applied and applied. She's even tired. If you look at the emails, dear sir stroke, madam, dear sir stroke, madam, dear sir stroke, madam. And I told her that keep applying. So like Sam, I'm tired. And unfortunately, we cannot afford to get tired in this race because there's a heavenly expectation over your life. The fathers of faith are beckoning on us. They are cheering us up. That honey, David is telling you, honey, I have survived under a demon-possessed king. You can also survive. Abraham is cheering you. It took me 25 years to get my Isaac. Daniel is cheering you. I survived under four kings. You can also survive. Joseph is telling you, I was able to flee from a tantalizing offer from Potiphar's wife. People are cheering us on. Job is cheering you that hey, I endured suffering. To endure as a good soldier of Christ. The heavenly Sahindrin is cheering on us. And I want to pray for us all that as all of us who are getting tired and weary in this race of life, may we remember that there's an expectation of heaven concerning our lives. The next thing that we should know is that we need to lay aside. We need to lay aside. And this is a truth that I'm sure we are all aware of. But I just want to remind you that we need to lay aside if you have to run this race of life. And I'm sure most of us have read the scripture and I don't want to bother on the weight and the sin so much. But I don't want to touch a bit about the weight. 
we need to lay aside certain weights in our life. And these weights, as many like to describe it, they are not necessarily sins, but they are things that slow you down. They are things that distract you from running your race. And one important weight that you must lay off is the weight of laziness, is the weight of excuses, and the weight of dependency on others. It's a weight upon us. Some of us, we are so much dependent on the applauses of men that we have become imprisoned to the opinions of people that we cannot run the Christian race. We are seeking, we are so dependent on the approval of people that we cannot run the race that is set before us. Some of us, we are so used to being lazy. And remember, at the beginning of the year, we talked about laziness. And my best definition that I come up for laziness as of now is a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms. This is the reason why many of us, we cannot continue in prayer. We cannot continue in the Word. We cannot continue in waiting on God because of that a little sleep, that a little slumber, and that a little folding of the arms. The weight of friends is a weight that we must lay aside. So one, remember there's a heavenly expectation and that heavenly expectation should make you easily lay aside that weight and that sin that so easily besets us. The third thing that we should do is that we are supposed to run with patience. And you see, many times we think patience means slowness, patience means dullness, patience means calmness. But here the writer said that run with patience. So he said that lay aside weight, lay aside the weight, lay aside the sin. But what you are supposed to take in this journey is patience because it is a long journey. It is a long journey. I think I shared the one thousand to a spiritual instructor. He's having those shows where people send him questions. And a young minister sent him a question that, oh, I've been doing this ministry for a while. I, I seem to do everything right, but uh, what is going on? And I, and I think he asked him, what is the secret to your ministry? Because as a young minister, I'm doing everything. But And I love the man of God's answer. He said, the only thing you lack now is patience. And I was surprised by the answer because immediately that we read that question, my antennas went up because I also want to know. Because sometimes it's not because I'm not doing something right. You know, many a times you always think that I must not be doing something right. That is why I am not getting a particular result. It is not always the case that you're not doing something right. Sometimes you need patience. Because no matter how fast or how skilled or how anointed or how gifted you are, you will still have to wait for nine months. And if you dare bring out your baby before the nine months, you are going to give birth to a dead baby. And that's what you must appreciate about life. That life is a race with patience. And it's that one dangerous things, one dangerous thing story, or do you share that stories with us? They do. Because sometimes when people are sharing their stories, we do not appreciate the time gap in their stories. Somebody say, Oh, um, what <laughs> the motivational speakers? I started a farm, had only one one chicken. The chicken was laying my eggs, and now in five years I have thousand chickens or whatever. And we just jump onto the story, forgetting the time gaps between those things. So I remember recently on YouTube, a guy that's a particular um what they call influencer who is encouraging Africans to go into agri. And a guy, I think, tweeted under his tweets that Charlie, stop lying to us. Because I'm just coming from my farm and almost all my animals are dead. I've been doing this thing for a long time. So stop making it seem as though if you venture into agri five years, ten years now, boom, you'll make it. (laughs) 
And I appreciated the guy's frustration because sometimes when we listen to the stories, we are interested in the glory, but sometimes we intentionally close our ears to the pain and the sowing in tears that they have to sow. So it is a race of patience. It's a race of patience. And you see, sometimes what people miss out in, in, in successful stories is that people don't appreciate the things people do in secret. Sometimes we think people just appear on the scene. Nobody ever appears on the scene. No genuine person ever appears on the scene. People are sowing seeds. You may be playing the buffoonery, but people are making the investment. So in a few years' time, you see people appearing, and you ask yourself, where are they coming from? It's not as though they came, they just appeared. They have been making the investment. I remember one day a colleague at school was telling me how the uncle and auntie transformed their baking. I think they used to bake bread. Their bakery into a national bakery. And he said that when they put up their edifice, everybody was saying, hey, blood money, blood money, blood money. And they're going to do that, they're going to do that. And this guy was like, these people were in the community when they started. But you see, people were not paying attention when they were changing gradually. At a point, they moved from their kitchen. They bought a small piece of land. Then they set up the bakery, the oven. Then they extended to one plot. Then they broke down that bakery. They erected a small structure. They broke down that small structure. Erected a story building. They broke. But people don't take notice of the process that people go through. All they do is that they wake up and they see a building. And they, I don't know whether intentionally or unintentionally, they forget the tears that people have sold. So if you look at anybody, they will show you pictures of when they started and the investments they made. It's a race with patience. It's a race with patience. There's this scripture in the Proverbs I want us to take a look at. I think it's about finances. There's this scripture, I think, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. It's a very powerful scripture. That I know many of us will have examples where we think it goes against this scripture. But it says that dishonest money dwindles away but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow and it's mean that people will be like eh, i know this person i know especially because of social media people can make in quotes quick money but the money is not quick if maybe you know somebody who's on youtube making millions or thousands however they make it's not quick. When the person started his YouTube channel, there's a particular one in Africa, I had one of the highest subscribers in Africa. He started about nine years ago. He had to rebrand and rebrand and rebrand, change his content, do all those things. Before now, he had one million followers. But many times, we don't appreciate the race of patience that people go through. And in this race, it's going to be a race of patience. I think the year 2020, one of the things that God taught me, I had to literally wait for everything I had in that year. Hey, but it says, run with patience, the race before us. And the next ingredient to obtain is that he says, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, not looking unto your enemies. Many of us, we just can't wait in court to make it in life just so that we can shame certain people. Many of us cannot wait to give that self-glorifying speech of how they made it in life, how nobody believed in them, but they persevered, they endured, and with hard work, they are here. Many are looking onto their enemies. Many are looking onto people we call celebrities. But the Bible says they are not the ones we look up onto. 
but the one we are supposed to look up to, to be able to obtain, to be able to run with purpose, is to look up onto Jesus. He is the reason and he is our focus for running. And I think I always give this, I give this example that when we are younger and we are playing football, we have what we call small pools. So mostly when we play and there's a tie and we have to go for penalty kick, Sometimes, if a member of your team wants to go and stand behind the pole, and whenever he stands behind the pole, your opponent will be like, hey, remove, leave there, leave there. Because they know that you would use your opponent as a focus. And having him in mind, you would play keeping your gaze upon him. So always, so whenever that instance happens, whenever you are playing football, this is a scripture that comes in mind. When you're looking onto Jesus, have a mark and let Jesus be your mark. Let Jesus be your mark. Let glorifying Jesus be your motivation in life and nothing else, nothing else. Many a times we are looking onto people. We are looking at that beloved or that boyfriend or that girlfriend who said no to us. We are looking onto people who rejected us, who didn't believe in us. They are not the motivation in life. Your motivation in life should be nothing else but Jesus. And he says, who for the joy that was set before him. And the Bible is giving us what motivated Jesus, the joy. So when they were bruising Jesus, when they were mocking him, when they were spitting upon him, when he was enduring the cross, the only thing he had on his mind was a certain joy to call you and I his brothers. So whenever they whipped him and they tore open his flesh, and the pain was so excruciating that he wanted to say, God, is okay. He just looked at the joy of calling you his own and he endured the process. He endured the process. Look at the joy that you put on the Lord Jesus' face and endure the process. You see, many times when you speak to parents, they will let you know how they are willing to do everything just to put a smile on their children's face. Many times we don't know the things our parents have to endure just to give us comfort. And the writer is telling us that in this race of life, there's a certain joy, the joy of God calling you a good and a faithful servant. There's a certain joy of the heavenly Sahindran applauding you. So I think one of these football people, he, I think it was a coach, he said that there's something about winning a trophy that is very addictive. The joy you feel when you win your first trophy, it becomes so addictive and obsessive that you just can't wait to win another trophy. And that's how, or that should be our mentality in life, that there's a joy that has been set before you. And this joy is what should give us the energy each and every day to endure the marathon of life. And to everyone who is feeling weary, everyone who is feeling tired, everyone who seems to keep running and running and running, and your life seems to have no sort of rest, no sort of destination, God is reminding us that there is a joy that is set before you. Keep your gaze on that joy, that joy. I had a friend who was in medical school and he said that there was a joy of just being addressed as doctor. So whenever he picks up his book and his laptop to go and study, all he can imagine is walking across that auditorium on that faithful day when they call him doctor. Let that joy motivate you to pay the price to run this race that God has called you. There's a race that is set before us. There's a journey that we must run that seems to have no end. But I'm believing God that we would run this race. We will not run in vain. 
It's not just about running. Many people are running in the wrong direction. Many people are running for the wrong things, for the wrong price. But may we run the good race and may we run the race that is set before us. We saw this in Hebrews 12. He said, run the race that is set before you. Unfortunately, some of us are running other people's races. Some of us were running the wrong race. But for everyone who is exerting energy in the wrong direction, may God restore unto us our wasted years. We just want to spend some time in prayer. We just want to tell God, Father, renew our strength. In this race of life, renew our strength. Jesus said that he that endures to the end shall be saved. To everyone who is feeling tired, you have been going for prayer meeting upon prayer meeting. You have been waking up at dawn to pray. You have been praying from essence. You have been praying from university. After school, you are still praying. And you feel like you have prayed enough. You feel like you have served God enough. You feel like you have made all the sacrifices. But God is telling us that endure for there is a joy that is set before you. Endure. There is a joy that is set before you. And if you feel like giving up, look unto Jesus. If you feel like getting a rest, look unto Jesus. If you feel like throwing in the towel, look unto Jesus. Your life may seem like an unending race, but God is giving us the grace. God is giving us the energy, the tirelessness, the spirit of tirelessness to keep on running, to keep on running, to keep on running. You may think that, oh, if only I could get married, I will be settled. But God is telling you that forgetting those things that are behind keep on running. God is speaking to us now that this life is not a destination. Keep on running. Keep on running. I know you have a stable job. I know you have three cars, a beautiful wife, but God is saying, keep on running. For there is a race that is set before you. Looking on to Jesus, he who began the race, and he is the one who ends your race. For everyone who is feeling weary, who is feeling downhearted, who feels like giving up, God is saying, keep on running. Father, we pray for grace. We pray for the energy. We pray for the spirit of tirelessness to keep on running, to keep on running the race that is set before us and for any of us Lord who is running the wrong race we pray to the God who restores that Father restore unto us every wasted years every wasted energy every wasted effort and may we run the race that is set before us may we run to obtain the prize. May we forget that which is behind us and may we press on, may we press on, may we press on towards the mark of the higher call in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, for encouraging us. We thank you. Some of us, we seem like we have waited. We have been running this race of singleness and purity. And now it feels like, ah, I know, I think I saw someone that some of them, I think I saw some of some Elizabeth is just tired. She doesn't want a sensible man to impregnate her so that she'll have a challenge to forget because she seems to be running to have no destination. It can get really tired. It can really get really tired. That's why many people in their mid years, they, they lose fire for God because it's like they have been running in secondary school. They have been running in the university. They have been running during national service. They have been running in the other parts of their career and they feel all tired. So when they see younger ones running, they say, oh, when we were young, we were doing the same thing. But may God give us the grace that just as our days are, so shall our strength be. 
We thank you so much for joining us, for running with us. And remember, we are running with patience. We are running with patience. God bless you so much. And see you next week, even as we look at the last portion of the scripture. And remember to keep on running, to give God your very best. And to make sure that we owe no man nothing but love. See you next week, God willing. And bye-bye. Four.